Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today, and i got to get started real quickly because it seems like Rodden is filling us up again. He's half of the student loans borrowed, uh, saying they can't afford single payment. Poll finds that 64% of U.S. student loan borrowers say they would not make a payment until they are legally required to do so. The average monthly student loan payment in the U.S. is $460. The survey results were released week after the Biden administration announced the fourth extension of the federal student loan repayment moratorium. You should have been here when we discussed that, a freeze that had been in place since the beginning of the COVID-19 epidemic. While advocates and progressive lawmakers welcome the extension, which will remain in effect until August 31st, they argued that continuing will push the moratorium back several months at a time leaves tens of millions of borrowers in limbo and does nothing to ensure lasting relief. Biden's original millions uh, original campaign planned $50,000 for each student loan debt, but has since walked that down to $10,000. Their average student loan uh, debt is about $40,000. So Biden's original plan would have ended student loan debt for over half of young people and substantially helped most of the rest. This unfortunate follows Biden's a neoliberal establishment Democrats' usual pattern. We're going to talk a lot, uh, some about that today as well. Top Florida Democrat sues uh, overrule keeping medical marijuana users from buying guns. Florida loan statement elected Democrat Agricultural Commissioner Nikki Freed plans to sue the Biden administration Wednesday to try to block a federal rule that prohibits medical marijuana users from buying guns or maintaining concealed carrying permits. The lawsuit was timed on April 20th, a not to slang the 420, of course. This is a weird situation where Democrats want more background checks and Republicans want more guns. So let's think about this for a moment. Why is drugs use an automatic disqualification for gun ownership? An addict isn't likely to use their gun on a criminal manner until they run out of drugs. That's true for all drugs? No, then why treat all drugs equally with a single question leading to the same outcome? An addict who wants to be a legal gun owner but is denied that legal gun will buy a secondary market. Absolutely true. Next one, CNN will shut down April 30th, just one month after launch. Really? Winner uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has decided to shut down CNN Plus just weeks after its launch. CNBC reported last week fewer than 10,000 people were watching CNN Plus each day. Most popular political commentators on YouTube get more views than that. I, do, I know, I know, guys. Hey, uh, there's no point creating a standalone network when people prefer convenience of watching videos on their choice of social network. Exactly. 10,000 views. Ooh, that's bad. America has turned its back on its poorest families. Biden's single best policy. The expanded child tax credit gave parents $3,000 for every child, 6 to 17, and 3600 for every child under 6 with no strings attached. It was just money. It could be used for child care, for money, clothes, whatever. It treated parents, even poor parents, as the experts on their family finances, something that Republicans claim they want. Leave it to the family, right? The number of parents who said that their children didn't have enough to eat fell more than 3 million, which we got most people out of poverty then. Conservatives warned that the benefit would discourage work. That's what they believe. Most people want to work, folks. Conservatives warned that they'll stop work. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to say poor people, just like rich people, want to live on, on more than $3,000 per child per year. Welcome aboard, ABQ. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. May Wood. Welcome aboard. Alistair Waters. How are you doing today, my beautiful lady? Bruce Pollard. It's a good day in Texas. Yes, it is. They, they opened up. All the lanes are flowing again. Alistair says, yes, Bruce. Yes. 
Eric Hayes says, Egberto, I have to ask why you say the dollar is sovereign and why you think that spending is not affecting America's future by devaluing the currency. Policy since January 2021 has drastically changed, and now you have ally countries getting other currency. I mean, that is a silly statement. The reality is, under Trump, Trump spent a lot more money. Trump spent a lot more money. The, the Republicans just weren't pissed at it. When Republicans spend money, Republicans don't get pissed. The, the famous person that said deficits doesn't matter was a Republican named Cheney. Cheney, the vice president, was the one who went on national TV and said, deficits do not matter. And he had a point. He had a point that if you have sovereign currency and you don't have, and you don't have, here, here are the caveats, you have a sovereign currency and you don't have shortages. That's what's very important. Then you can print money because as long as there is something to buy with that money, and it's not a whole bunch of money chasing after products, and that's what m modern monetary theory tells you. People think modern monetary theory is some extravagant thing. We have been practicing money, mo uh, uh, modern monetary theory for rich people for decades. We've been practicing that. It's just we haven't been doing it for poor people, right? It's like, uh, how comes we can find the money to send over to Ukraine? We can... Everything Ukraine asks for, you want a billion dollars, go for it. If you want $500 million, go for it. If you want anything Ukraine asks for, they get. Our poor people in the ghettos and the baddies, we say, let's have $1 billion for food program. Nah, nah, we can't do that. Or if you want to do it, you got to have offsets. We are the, I mean, we know how to implement evil with a smile. We can, we can, and by the way, when we say we're giving a billion dollars to Ukraine, what we really mean, I understand what giving a billion dollars to Ukraine uh, for weapons mean. It means we take $1 billion and we look up every single American defense contractor and we give them a billion dollars. And then they give equipment to Ukraine. So it's a transfer of wealth that nobody asks anything about. The defense department, the defense industrial complex, all those private companies, they get that billion dollars. And then they transfer those weapons to Ukraine. I, you know, it is so, I mean, you hear it on TV and nobody says it. You don't hear Chuck Todd saying things like, oh, you have a billion dollars to give to these, uh, these big, big, big uh, uh, arms company. How comes we can't give Cisco and all these other food companies so that they can give food to the, to the poor, so that they can make people whole again? We don't think like that. You'll, you'll hear, give them it away to give it to, can you see it? So again, I made my statement, Brother Hayes, take it to the bank. You can, and, and by the way, we don't print money. That's not what we do anymore, right? It's all electronic. But you can throw as much money into the system as you want to, as long as there are enough products and services to buy with that money. It becomes inflationary under two conditions. Condition number one is a lot of people going after too little products or too little services. In other words, we don't have enough plumbers. We don't have enough electricians. We don't have enough cars. We don't have enough gasoline. But guess what is happening? What today's inflation is? Today's inflation is not caused by shortages. Today's inflation is caused by evil corporations who have price and power and say, I have the same amount of gasoline, even though we have a few thousand I mean, million barrels off from Russia, we have other areas to make up. And guess what? 
we still have enough. But since we can we can have create mass hysteria, we can charge whatever the market will bear. Doctor, professor, economist Richard Wolf came and he corroborated what I've been telling you guys for a long time. You know, this 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 is not rocket science, right? Mod, modern monetary theory, we love it for rich people. We just don't like it for poor people. We just don't like it for the average American citizen. That's all. All right, let's see. Robert D. Davenport says, greetings, progressive. Welcome, Rob. Uh, right, welcome, Senior Davenport. Bridge MCP says, after 36 plus hours without power or water, I'm back. What a ride that was. Melting snow for the toilet. Oh, I feel for you, my beautiful Bridge MCP. How you doing, my beautiful girl? All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's see. Eric says, Egberto, you silly guy, you. Oh, wow. Hey, you know, it, it, I, I guess, look, I think people would be honored for you to call them silly if, because they would know that what we're looking at is a mirror image, right? So that'll be fine. I'll take silly. Uh, SSD, where is equality? What about the promises for SSI, SSDI reforms? We really need that boost. We have to demand things, brother. SSDI, where's the equity? We need to demand it. Squido. All right, let's see. Eric says, tell the sovereign people that when buying groceries, when they lost. No, no, I, I'll tell you what, Eric. You are so pissed off at these high grocery prices. Why don't you go to the people who are causing the high grocery prices? If you are so big, bad, and want to solve the problem, why don't you join us and solve the problem? It's silly to say I'm going to go to Biden and ask Biden to solve the problem. You want to solve the problem with the, the high prices of food? Go to the grocers that are milking you who have the price and power to do what they're doing. But you know what? You are so... Your, your mind is so set on the, on, on the idiocy coming from the right that you can't see the truth in front of you. Biden can't set prices. Go through the mechanics of why, or why is a cabbage higher in price when we have the labor to pick the cabbage and we have a whole bunch of folks at the border who wants to come into the country and make the cabbage even cheaper by picking more. You see? Overspending doesn't cause inflation. Shortages cause inflation. Learn economics. I thought you were a. I thought you had an economics degree along with your um, along with your your whatever it is that you do. I think you're an accountant. Anyhow, um, Democrats are poised to lose a whole lot of congressional seats, right? You know why? Because they are silly. You know why they may lose these seats? Because they refuse to fight. You know why they refuse to fight? Because a lot of them, they're, they're in two camps. One who believe what those corporate centrists are telling them, and the others who are actual the corporate centrists. But folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all these guys that are in real progressive, they don't, they don't have anything to worry about. What's so funny, I'm gonna, I want to bring in something before uh, with, the, with the Pennsylvania uh, Senate race. There is a centrist running, I don't remember his name, and then there is a progressive running called Fetterman. I love Fetterman. And then there's a, there's a brother that's running, black dude that's running, uh, that I'm supposed to be interviewing as well, both Fetterman and this guy. But I want, to I want to point something out to you guys. Fetterman, the progressive, already has proven that he can win the entire state of Pennsylvania. How do we know that? He's won it. He's the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, which means he won the entire state. Okay? Think about this. We have a, 
congressman who wants who the Democratic Party loves. This is centrist, down-the-middle congressman. All he's won is his district. Who should the Democratic Party bet on? The person who has proven that he can win the entire state of Pennsylvania? Or that guy who claims he's a moderate and he's a centrist and, and, and he's going to just speak the way centrists talk because, you know, he wants to get those Republican votes. The person who's already proven himself is Fetterman. The person who's ahead of the race is Fetterman. The person who's won the entire state is Fetterman. Why? What's the problem? This is what I talk about neoliberals and how we kick ourselves in las pelotas. We don't do what is right. We don't do what is right. Anyhow, I want to play this video for you because this, this here seals the case. This is the perfect example of what I'm trying to talk to you about. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Democrats should win 2022. Democrats will win 2022 if they follow some of the rules that many of us in the progressive space have been putting out. I want you to, the argument currently against Democrats is inflation is high. They cannot control inflation, so therefore throw them out and bring in the anti-democratic group into power. Somehow they're going to do a better job. Of course, we know that's a fallacy. But let's go ahead and listen to this question that Chuck Todd asked uh, one of Bernie Sanders' past um, or one of Bernie Sanders' uh, subjugates or advocates. And I want you to listen to his reply because it's important. And then we'll take it on the other side. This is something for us all to emulate. Does the senator accept, though, the idea that the the checks that you said were enormously popular actually contributed to our current inflation? Yeah, this again, it hurts my soul around this fight because if you're a Biden administration and not other Democrats, this is an opportunity to lean in. What happened with the stimulus checks? We gave money into people's pockets: mm -hmm. child tax credit, you know, unemployment insurance benefits, and stimulus checks. What happened when we gave that money out? Corporations came around and stole it. That's what happened. They took it back out of your paycheck. Why? Because they wanted to report not profits, mm -hmm. Chuck, record profits. S&P 500, you look at their profits off the charts. That was a choice by corporations. So, yeah, I could raise that potato bag of potato chips by 25 cents. I could increase the cost of this car by $1,000. But everyone thinks there's supply chain snarls out there. So what and, you're saying, and the inflation in issue should be on the corporate. 100%. Lead that fight to say, hey, yeah, it should, maybe there should have been some price increases. But what happened was price gouging, price collusion, mm -hmm. uh, corporate power in America trying to get, take literally take, reach into your pocket, say, oh, I see you got some money there mm -hmm. coming back to me. And if you just look at the record profits of these corporations, that is the fight. That is the fight. Who, people are asking, who the hell is going to take them on? The, it is the government's responsibility to take that fight on. I think uh, you've made clear you'd like to see the Democrats have some fight in them. I mean, that, oh. you've used that word a lot, and I say that no disrespect, yes. it does seem like as you, that that is among the biggest problems. Right, executive order. I mean, I, we appreciate, everyone's going to appreciate this. Sometimes these fights are hard, you're going to lose. Right. But you got to lean in, whether it's executive orders, putting legislative votes on the floor again, you know, go around the tr country, wield it, you know, wield that authority. Now, you have to ask the question, whether it is that Democrats can't fight or it is that they also know that they are in the pockets, or rather, they are in the pockets of the plutocrats, the executives, the corporatocracy. Let's be clear here. You hear how he said it distinctly. Why do we have inflation? Because the corporations are stealing your money. 
They know that you had you got some more money in a stimulus. They know that you're getting more wages and they're going to take it back away. We've discussed this many times on Politics Done Right. We've also had Dr. Economist Professor Richard Wolf come and tell you price and power belongs to the corporations. They decide how much to charge. And like I mentioned before, if you don't have shortages of products, which we don't have, if you have people that are buying the same amount of product, which they are, and then the only difference you have is price increases, which is inflation, and also that is reflected into the bottom line of the corporations with record profits, that means that corporations made the choice to create inflation. Again, right now, many Democrats are sitting back and and, and, and licking their wounds as if they should be held responsible for the inflation rate because of the stimulus package, etc. You notice the question that Chuck Todd asked. That is what they want you to believe. Do, is Bernie Sanders ready to take responsibility that even though a lot of people like the stimulus, given the stimulus overheated the economy? Given the stimulus did not overheat the economy. Are you saying that people should live in a permanent state of poverty, in a permanent state of want, in a permanent state of need? You are, if you believe that given a stimulus overheated the economy, you are saying that you are pervy to an economy that cannot support people living at a certain rate of happiness, of a certain rate of having the appropriate finances. Because if you think giving people what they deserve, and not even what they deserve, less than what they deserve, but what they hadn't had. If you think for one minute that just, just letting people just exist is what your economy stands for, and if for some reason people get a little bit more, it goes into inflation, it doesn't work that way. The billionaires continue to, uh, to amass their billions during the pandemic. The billionaires continued to pilfer Americans and they're doing right now. Democrats should be leaning in and pointing out that it's corporate thievery. It's a capitalist thievery that is occurring right now. And until we change the messaging paradigm, until we change it in its entirety and stop allowing the mainstream media, Chuck Todd saying, well, is Bernie ready to accept responsibility for overheating the economy by promoting the stimulus which everybody likes? Hell no. Bernie's not sorry. Bernie wants more stimulus. We need to take away a lot more money from the billionaires, which they got on your backs. That is what we need to do. When are we going to see the big picture? When are we going to understand the concept that every capitalist knows? What is the price of a product? Whatever the market can bear. In other words, whatever we can steal from you. That is the price of the product. Listen to what we talked about a few days ago with Dr. Richard Wolf. That is what it's all about. Chuck Todd, I'm glad you asked that question because any it should give the impetus to every Democrat to go ahead, every progressive to answer that question. And anyone who doesn't answer that question the way you just heard it answered is in the pockets of the corporatocracy. We and spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form. And I completely stand by that statement. Anybody, absolutely anybody who doesn't agree with that statement is in the pockets of the corporatocracy or is delusional. There's not no, there's not, there, there aren't two ways about it, okay? Because I made a statement here that I want to reiterate, okay? 
if you are saying people are are needing for money, people don't make enough to survive. If you are saying giving them enough money to survive is tantamount to creating inflationary pressures, even as billionaires continue to amass on their backs, you're saying you have a fraudulent economy, which is what I say. We do have a, for, a fraudulent economy. This economy, as, Dr., as, as I learned in, the, in decades ago through uh, Dr. Richard Wolff, when I went and saw his symposium, Capitalism Hits the Fan, where we exchange debt, where we exchange wages for debt. We explained that in several shows past. We exchanged wages for debt. All right, at SSDI, Democrats need to pass bills for Americans not to send killing machines to other countries. Our citizens matter. Yeah, we can always find money for guns, guys. Always. Okay, I'm not going to do my ass till after. I'm going to go ahead and play the interview that I had with J.D. Mass, and then I'll come back. But let me see if I, there's a, I think I saw uh, CSEC said something that probably needed a, an immediate response. Let's see what he said. Uh, I thought I saw something from CSEC, but I am not sure. I'm not sure that he says, uh, anytime you dump more than $3 trillion into the economy while shortages in production is still happening, will produce inflation. There are no shortages. Have you gone to the store? If you missed a particular product, there is another one present to replace it. I've been to the store. There's a particular name brand. It's not there anymore, mostly because of the supply chain problem created by the greed and just-in-time inventor by the fraudulent capitalists. But still, there are alternatives, right? There are no shortages. Punto y final. I'm not even going to discuss that. We do not have shortages. If you go to a gas station, have you found any gas stations that are empty right now? No. If you go anywhere, and by the way, and people are driving the same and, 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 and filling up the same, but you're not seeing these shortages. This is fraud that is typical of this type of economic system. Okay? I would be with you if we were going around the place and, oh my God, I can't get this, I can't get that. There is no shortage of products, period. We're not going to discuss it because if you go to the store, you can buy bread, eggs, cheese, and you can also get your car and you can buy whatever. And the only difference is that the price is high. That means they're gouging you. But anyway, let's go ahead and listen to Brother J.D. Mass, and then we can discuss this a little further as I get back uh, there. So let's go. Brother J.D. Mass, take it away. All right, I want you to take it away. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamek. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of this program. Today we have a very special guest, J.D. Mass, uh, a former uh, manager for musician Nelly, is with us today. J.D. Mass earned his doctorate in organizational psychology and became heavily involved in white anti-racism groups in Los Angeles and later in St. Louis. His, uh, this work inspired him to write Race for What?, a wise thinker and guide, J.D. hopes to, for our society to finally connect the harm of racism and help create a humane world. J.D. Mass, welcome to Politics and Rights. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, um, I, I want to read something that, that was in your, your work. It says, race for what? 
provides stories with the book Race for What, provides stories with a unique perspective from a white man's experience and illustrates seven steps to heal. Mass encourages white people to work through the emotional and psychological obstacles in order to repair and heal the harm racism has caused. Bold statement. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's that's what I feel like is stopping us from this change <clears throat> that we've been reportedly on our process of doing since the ending of slavery um, is is the dealing with the actual emotional and intentional um, side of it. What was going on? What led us to even create it in the first place? Let's identify what are those traits and then let's work through those so that we can see the value of healing. All right, let's go a little bit er earlier on because, I mean, one one of the hooks that I know you use a lot of times is like, hey, you actually worked with Nelly. You were Nelly's business manager for a while. Um, You know, uh, how did that come about, first of all, and how does that intersect with uh, your your notion of race? Was that instrumental at all or was that ancillary? So Nelly and I grew up as friends. He moved to our neighborhood um, and around the seventh grade, we started hanging out between eighth and ninth grade going into high school. And um, he and I became very close friends and I was always entrepreneurial. And as his career took off, he wanted to do some entrepreneurial things. And so he asked me to join him in that uh, process of helping him build his companies. Now, um, did you find that... um that you learned something interfacing with somebody of color in business that you wouldn't have otherwise found out? And there's a specific reason I'm asking you that. So, yes. So um, as, as I've mentioned in the book uh, on the chapter about my time with Nelly, uh, I noticed a few things. One, I came in with the white savior kind of sim- syndrome uh, approach to it. I wanted to make sure that I brought my level of expertise and I wanted to, you know, protect everybody and save everybody if there was mistakes being made and things of that nature. And I did, while I thought I was being inclusive, I really wasn't. Um, And it took me some time to reflect on that and and recognize that. Um, And, you know, I made decisions also on my own without consulting him um, that I thought was best for us, but not at that time. So that was my own introspection. I also noticed as we did Apple Bottoms jeans and we were trying, I mean, Apple Bottoms clothing line, and we were trying to expand that, that we were dealing with the white culture and finance that was looking to back us, but had no understanding of what Black culture, Black store owners had to go through, how credit wasn't afforded to them. So we were making sales based on future cash projections, and it was hard to get finances to say, oh, yeah, we believe they'll pay. And so it was a very difference in culture that made it different, difficult to do business. Yeah, well, you know, a lot a lot of people don't understand that they they believe that uh, you know you you start into business and they don't believe that somebody's hue can actually decide if you're going to get credit or not or if you're credit worthy or not. As a business owner myself, I've gone through a whole lot of that. Beat it, of course, but gone through a whole lot of that. And that you understood that being next to somebody who was actually uh, going through it what was a good thing. Okay, tell me about the seven steps for addressing the racial divide as you see it. 
So um, it's the step number one for white, and it's geared towards uh, white folks. Step number one is to just not take a step. Stop for a moment and do some reflection, some understanding, gain some uh, understanding before we go forward. Um, Let's look at why racism could have started. Let's recognize that we don't have an understanding, and oftentimes we don't even know much about Black culture or any other culture because we've been taught only about our own culture as if that's the only one that's important, which feeds into this kind of white supremacy culture idea, right? So step one, don't take a step, gain some understanding. Step two would be to actually acknowledge the harm of our culture, including anti-Black racism, but beyond that as well, just in the way that we interact is so individualistic based and with this scarcity mentality that we bring, we don't understand community living. We don't understand that. So that there's harms that come from the way we have approached building our culture. And number three is to let go of privilege, let go of uh, control and and let go of our fears so that we can be open to um, something new and something greater than what we're doing. I want to stop you on that part because you brought up the word privilege. And what, what I find that a lot of my, um, uh, well, not a lot of my, some of my white friends uh, think that uh, there isn't privilege because let's say you take a look at white folks in Appalachia that are living way below the le- the standard of living of, let's say, even somebody in 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 some of the ghettos in the major cities, etc. Um, how do you explain? As you, I mean, you rightfully talk about privilege. How do you explain that to your as as you try to put that out? So privilege has context when you're when they're defining it in those terms yes they can make an argument for lack of privilege however there's been a system that has been supportive of white folks maintaining a level of advancement um, with ease that other cultures don't have. And so even though it should come naturally, and it seems to, if it comes naturally to us, and we don't really see how it comes, doesn't come naturally to others, we can ignore and, and, and be um, uh, blind to the fact that we have these privileges because they really, off, I mean, they should. And in writing, they they do, right? Like I read something the other day that said, all lives matter would make sense if all people were created equal in the first writings of when we said all, right? If um, if these, you know, uh, the pursuit of happiness and the, and the justice for all meant all folks then. So then all lives would, saying all lives matter has the same context as those, then Black Lives Matter is because those never included Black lives in the first place. And that is the level of privilege that I don't think we get to understand. I, I want to add something to that, and, and then we'll go to your step number four. And that is, a, and, and I think it's something that is important that the, our listeners actually understand. I always give the example of uh, when I went for my first loan in business, it was in the 80s, it was for $40,000. I had a perfect credit. I had all these these attributes, good resume, good job, etc. A friend of mine, white guy, good friend of mine. He was a coke addict. Everybody who watched him play with his nose know that he was a coke addict. He he was starting a new business. I was starting a new business. We went to the same bank. The uh, again, we all wear our suits. We went into the suit into the bank. The bank folks spoke to him. They gave him a break. 
he got the $40,000. They told me don't even bother filling out an application. This was the 80s. That is what privilege looks like, just right. by a, an appearance that you don't do. And a lot of people don't quite get that. I can put a suit on with somebody from Appalachia and uh, uh, that knows absolutely nothing, and they'll get into the door. Right. And I would have to hope that I can get into the door. Just a thought that I, I wanted to put out there. Continue with your four, sir. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I, I was able to exchange anything at any store without question. And my friends exchanged things and were denied, would hand them to me in the parking lot. I'd go right back into the same attendant and, and exchange something exactly. for them. And that is the level of privilege at a small scale, but it's still a representation right. of common everyday life. So step four is to appreciate the value of other cultures, specifically for my case, uh, black culture, um, because we have ignored it. And, and so also going back to your level of privilege and this system has a target of oppressing things and the way that we've set up, you, we punish poor people, we punish this, that and the other. But I say at the, at the bullseye of that target is, uh, anti-black racism, right? So yes, it does hit other people on the target, even poor white folks in, in rural areas and all of these things that don't have some of the same privileges as others. But that target has a bullseye and then it builds from there. I have and a so, question for you because um, you, 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 you say something that, you know, we can infer from it, but I, 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 why do you think uh, we can have all that kind of privilege, but that specifically anti-Black is an issue? What would that be? What would be the cause of that? So I think that there's one, a lack of understanding. Um, there's two, uh, a huge fear in in our, and I believe the fear is in our uh, feeling of adequacy in comparison. Um, and And I say that, because we we say that there's like a fear of of black retaliation if we were to do go through a stage of repair and reparations and whatnot, but there's no ever been a a level of of uh, retaliation throughout all the harm that's been caused yet. So that that fear is a projected one. I think well, our fear. Yeah, I, I want to interrupt a second again because I mean, I I you, you are. I mean, I'm so glad that you articulate that because it's an important point. But we actually have a great example. Apartheid didn't leave South Africa until the early 90s, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And when they had the Truth and Resolution, uh, Resolution Commission, as it turns out, nobody had anything to fear about. The, the millions of Blacks that everybody were fearful would suddenly come down on the very small amount of whites in South Africa never occurred. Right. So we have right. examples that this is not how societies normally work. Yes. And that's and and that level of ignorance created by our fear. And I think our fear has to do with some level of insecurity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, racism is massive, uh, very harmful bullying mm -hmm. at this like gross kind of cultural level. Right. And so when you start to untangle what a bully does, a bully tries to make themselves feel better by making someone else feel lower than them. Right. But that starts from a place of not feeling good about themselves in the first place. Somewhere in there, there's a desire to boost themselves, but they're 
knowledge of how to do so is to make someone else feel lesser than. And so something in us needs to identify what is it? What is it about this lack of melanin skin that made us think that having less melanin, meaning I can't be outside as long in the sun connected to the earth, which is a simple concept, what makes us less have less melanin create a society that says we're the supreme being in this structure. We are superior to someone who's inferior to us, who has more melanin and can be out in the sun. And I think that comes from back in that day, that meaning something to us. Being outside, agriculture was our way of life and not having necessarily those same resources and understanding how the mentality of people who had an abundance of resources behaved, we brought this scarcity mentality that ended up not being able to see the welcomeness we were being offered and want to cause harm to those who had access to those resources. Excellent. Numero cinco. Number five. So number five is reparations, right? If we can actually uh, have a value and start to appreciate the value of others without feeling bad about ourselves, but actually recognize the humanity that, like you were saying, that existed in in cultures of, of indigenous and aboriginal people, then having reparations wouldn't just be a cost. And we we actually has a cost to a value because everything we do has a cost. When we turn the lights on, it has a cost. When we buy clothes, it has a cost. When we leave and we drive and we go experience a, you know, a sporting event or whatever, everything we do has a cost, but we associate a value with that cost. So we don't even measure them, but with reparations, we're stuck with this cost thing. So step five is reparations. Step four being that we have value to that and then leading us to step six would be what can we build if once we've repaired this situation? And I think we need a new mind, one that we can identify as humanitarian and and give us an example so that we can, as white folks, if we're really going to make a change, it is to stop with the control and move into a place of servitude so that we can understand how to live in a humane place and in a humane way that is step seven in living in a manifesting humanity. You know, it is amazing because um, it is so much easier to love than to hate. It is so much easier to live harmoniously than disharmoniously. It is so much easier and actually more fun to it, cherish it, cherish differences. You know, I always tell folks that I, I simply enjoy going to an Italian restaurant. To, I, I, you know, we always used to talk about melting pots, right? Right. And I actually, I'm from Panama, Central America. I like salsas. I don't mind, I don't mind melting, I don't mind the melting pot, but mm -hmm. I love salsa as well. And salsa is a whole lot of different things that are identifiable. Right. That come together, taste damn good. Right. I guess right, what else right. tastes good? The, the, the stuff that you melt in the pot tastes good too. Right, right, they're, right. They're, they're, one doesn't eliminate the other. It is so much easier to just say, you know what? I love human beings, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and there's just that fear that we need to really identify in ourselves that prohibits us from wanting to just share space and and enjoy one another versus try to control what do we feel like we're losing by doing so and what does losing what's the end result that we're so afraid is going to happen because there's it's 
projected. Like D.L. Hughley, I don't know if you're how familiar oh, I, you yeah, are with him. I know him. him, yeah. But my favorite line is is that the scariest place for a black person is in the mind of white folks, right? Yeah. We've created this image of and and it's been used to keep us separated and and not keep you separated from us because it's really used to keep us separated so that we're weaponized for powers to be to maintain control because we want we're afraid of what a melting pot looks like although i think the younger generation is no longer afraid oh, of that they're not jd uh, you just mentioned a very important thing that i preach all the time i i don't you you only said it in passing but I've, I've been talking about all of us being controlled. You know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people think that, okay, so black folks were slaves or whatever. And what I preach now in my show is that we're all what I call antiseptic slaves. And the reason mm-hmm. I call it antiseptic slaves is that uh, the powers that be, it's, just, it's in their interest to keep, you know, the conquer and divide has merit. It's right. in their interest to make sure that you fear me. Right. Because if you're concerned about me, I have control about I have control of both you Mm -hmm. and the other. Right. right? And that's and 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 having people understand that is very important. And that's why a book uh, like yours is important, but also a book coming from a white man stating these issues a lot of people wouldn't want to say that it's like well you know a black guy can write that book too and you experience it and many of them have right but the idea is you have to have you you know a a friend of mine and this is a white girl that told me this she said Egbert I'm going to tell you something it is time you know she I I don't when I became a blogger and an activist and all of that, I was not a black activist or a black mm-hmm. blogger or anything. I was a blogger. I was an activist. I was working on economic issues and mm-hmm. etc. And I specifically didn't want to work on black issues because of that association of, well, right. I don't want somebody to think black is only. And, and she said something that you are that you sort of alluded to. And that was we uh, racism is a white creation we are the right. ones who did this. And, you know, I, I didn't ask her to say this. And then she said, uh, we have to start telling white people to fix what's wrong. Right. Don't ask black people to fix it. Maybe right. get information as far as how you feel, what you feel, etc. cetera. Right. But remember, they are not the ones who had the whips. They are not the ones who said you couldn't vote. They are not the ones who... All these things that we consider undemocratic in this country, mm-hmm. they weren't the ones that instantiated it. Your thoughts right. on what she said? So, one, absolutely. we It's on us to really repair the harm that we've done. It's also on us to uh, be more curious of other cultures so that we can learn something new. Cause we'll keep repeating the same thing mm-hmm. if we don't right? like cancel culture is mostly associated with progressives, right. but violence and, and murdering somebody is cancel culture. Right. So let's not get that twisted either. Right. The, right. You know, the NRA is much as much associated with cancel culture as, uh, the progressives are. Right. It's both harmful. <laughs> so if you're taking, you know, so as white folks, that's why step one is don't take a step. Like right. learn that maybe our real change is to move from a position of being out front and leading into a position of learning and serving and seeing the value of that. Um, and those are that's significant 
difference in change. But in order to do that, we have to address the repair that needs to happen. And some of that, I think, has to do with repairing our own sense of esteem, our own sense of values, and changing what is valuable to us. Because we're all miserable in this culture, and we want change. And I think that's that was really reflected on in our country it was reflected from george bush to obama that there was a desire for change i think obama looked like change but didn't have the influence of changing the system itself mm -hmm. right. and so that when he left office there was still a desire for change and trump whether you like him or not he's different right, right. he was different as a politician for us the left uh on the democratic side didn't recognize Bernie was different and they didn't promote that. And they promoted Hillary even because she looked different, wasn't bring, she was still part of the same practices. Mm -hmm. And I think we got so afraid of what the difference in Trump did that we brought back Biden and now we still want change. Right. And that change needs to happen. And it's on, and it's imperative for us to address the need for change and move and make a move to learn how to operate in a cooperative way. But we can't even understand the individualism and the separation and the disconnection that we have in our culture that's leading to these certain things. That's what I hope to help bring some light to. Brother J.D. Uh, JD Massa, let me tell you, I am pretty sure that your book will be a part of, uh, a part, you know, it's gonna take a whole lot of us doing a whole lot of things. And you add into the discussion and you bring in, bring in these, these uh, subjects, issues in, I think it's important. The last question I always ask all my guests is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would I have liked? Oh, boy, that might be the toughest question I've ever been asked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what would I have liked? I mean, if you, or if you want to make a final statement, so, it's just as fine as well. Yeah, so... How you start something, and I'll just, the values in which we start something is is often how it ends up. And so it's very hard for us in untangling this disconnected culture that we have to, like, the way we're structured as far as thinking about family, that's yours, this is mine, this is, you know, instead of as a group of, of whole, we we have redefined ourselves um, uh, how am I trying to say this properly? I think I'm confusing myself, but the level of being responsible socially versus being responsible individually allows for a culture to all of us to feel good about, right? Where versus being responsible individually means a lot of finger pointing. Nope, you should have done that. Nope, you were the one up. Oh, we, we have been deceived so much in our culture and and it has to be deception because white supremacy is a deceptive concept. The fact that we have less melanin being uh, being supreme is a lie. And if you're going to build a system that supports that lie, you have to do it around lies. So now we have this 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 culture of deception that we're dealing with, and that is what we have to untangle. And that's the biggest thing. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, Brother J.D. Mass, he is the author of Race for What? A White Man's Journey and Guide to Healing Racism.
from within. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Thank you very much for having me. Bethel Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Network's KPFT 90.1 FM Houston that engages all ideologies, I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom, to describe the entire economy in a manner we can all understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book, titled, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It, gives us a place to land. After learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side, we point out what would make an economy that works for all. Each book stands on its own, but together they provide the full picture. Please consider getting one or more. You will undoubtedly learn, be entertained, and help us continue the mission with our blogs, articles, videos, and books. I'm ex- Absolutely so, folks. Anyway, 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 folks, please remember, please remember, you can get the books right here. PoliticsDoneRight.com slash books. PoliticsDoneRight.com slash books. I truly love that interview. He was on point. Yes, he was. The brother was really, really good. Um. He, I got turned on to him through his, uh, another guy. He was Nelly's. Um, he was Nelly's business manager. So you know, he 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 kind of immersed himself in the culture at at one point. Anyhow, folks, please go to politicsandright.com/books to get the uh, to check out our books. Please go to politicsandright.com/youtube. By the way, if you're on YouTube, please give me that thumbs up. We have people there that haven't done the thumbs up yet. Please go ahead and give us that thumbs up. And uh, click that join button, become a part of the PDR Posse on YouTube. Alternatively, you can go to, if you're not on YouTube on another channel, go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Uh, you can also support us at, at our Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. And of course, the best place to provide support, either either one, one, one time or monthly, politicsandright.com slash paypal politicsandright.com says paypal remember we have a lot of good stuff at our store t-shirts hoodies cups everything politicsandright.com slash store politicsandright.com slash stores and if you want to find the all-encompassing way to support us in other words Egberto, i don't remember all those links just remember one link politicsandright.com slash support politicsandright.com slash support has a link to all the different forms in which you can support politics and right okay let me go back to the questions thank you guys for listening i, I want to talk to csac and he said the problem is that the central reserve has had to keep interest rates very low due to all the borrowing and spending government is doing that sounds like a true statement right the plutocracy has to have reasons to screw us for us for a flawed economic system right and that sounds that sounds good right it sounds like oh we have to reduce interest look Reduction of interest rates, you know who it really hurts really bad? Those people who have passbook savings because they don't get any interest right? while the people who own their passbooks make a lot of interest. Okay, but we're not going to go there. They give you that impression as if, um, l- like I said, 
economics is not very difficult unless you put in structures to make it difficult. Derivatives and all these things. Derivatives and all these structures are structures created in our economic system to al allow parasites to make money from producing nothing. I repeat, derivatives and all these financial instruments are there to make money for those who make nothing. I want you to, I, I, parasites, I, and it may sound crude or harsh, because at some point, all of us want to put our monies in the bank and make some interest. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about the kind of money that people make from derivatives and selling structures, financial structures. Why am I stressing that? I am ultimately stressing that because it is so important for people to understand the fraud that is our economic system. Think about what CSEC is trying to say. Okay, you reduce the interest rates. It's very low now. And what you do, uh, what it means is that to multiply your money, anytime you put money in the bank, it can be multiplied. That's another economic, I don't, can't say that in two minutes. I'm going to have to ask you to take certain things on faith and look it up thereafter. What is occurring would, that would make what that statement is true is if the reason that we have inflation was because we didn't have enough stuff. But again, I ask you not to just listen to what the talking heads tell you or what the, the capital, capitalist economists tell you. I ask you to go through the machinery of, all right, if I have a dollar, I take that dollar and I spend it with the baker. That baker has to take that dollar and spend it with the guy who has flour, who makes all these other things. Go through the channel. Go, you, you can do it. You don't need an economist to, for you to actually go through the, the permutations of how that dollar gets split back. When our economy crashed, it had more to do with the derivative market crashing for a reason. Okay? I created, I wanted to find a way to make money off of nothing. I'm, I'm going to go one minute over to tell this story. Because derivatives used to stabilize price, for example, to energy companies. I understand all that crap. They, they use derivatives to, to, keep, to get the price of oil today as it's going to be tomorrow. Well, if you follow what I believe in, oil should be nationalized and that should be a constant value. So nobody would need to create a derivative on oil. Again, that is parasites making money for no reasons whatsoever. The oil is in the ground. It belongs to us all. Make it nationalize the oil and keep the airlines private. Their costs for oil would be constant where they wouldn't have to buy derivatives to ensure that the price of the gas they're paying today is held constant for X number of years based on the derivative that they bought. They don't call those derivatives, though. They call them contracts. But anyhow, here is what I'm saying. This is very, very important. What you want to do then is they want to make money off of nothing, right? So they package a whole lot of loans that they know a lot of people are on default. So they, they give everybody credit. Remember what I said earlier? They didn't want to give us wage increases because there's some permanence to that. So they gave us credit. So they still allowed us to buy the things to keep the economy going. And at the same time, we owe them. We owe them. So they don't give us wages. We borrow the money, and when we pay back the money, we even pay them back more than we borrowed, right? Call interest, interest rates at a high level. Now, they did it with houses as well. 
But they also knew something. People were buying houses that they knew ultimately they couldn't afford. But they still wanted to give the houses so they could get all this money in the banking system, etc. So they created these credit default swaps. Okay? And what they allowed you to do, and this is what's so, I mean, what they allowed you to do is the following. They said, okay, some mathematician comes up with a formula that says if I package this grade of, of debt with this grade of debt, meaning people with bad credit, people with medium credit, people with great credit, I could package them in some order that allows me to create a bond on several mortgages that are combined as one and sell that bond to some other stooge and sell it as a class A bond. Hey, it's a good quality bond, even though some of it is going to go under, but ultimately it's a good quality bond and I'm going to sell that. And our system allowed it. Capitalism, the parasitic system allowed that. So they went and sold those bonds. That was under the Bush administration. Thank you very much. And they went ahead and sold those bonds. And you know what happened? People who buy these bonds says, wait a minute. I want to insure this stuff in case it collapsed. So I buy insurance from insurance company A. Insurance company A said, oh, God, I'm insuring some stuff that may crash. I'm going to buy insurance from insurance company B. Then B says, hey, this may crash. I'm going to go to C. Insurance company C then went to insurance company D. And then insurance company D went back to insurance company A. The circular embrace of failure. So when insurance company A defaults, he goes to get paid at B. B says, oh, oh, now C got to pay me. C says, oh, oh. Now D's got to pay me. D says, uh-oh, now A has got to pay me. But you know what? A is still waiting on B. And B's waiting on C. C's waiting on D. D's wait. The shenanigans that happens in capitalism, in our economic system of laissez-faire, is parasitic from people who create and produce nothing but playing with pieces of paper and messing with people's life. And when that system locked up in 2008, right? That is when uh, Lehman Brothers and all these guys went under. When that system locked up, it wasn't the Republicans that said, we allowed all this crap, so we're going to help you out. It's the Democrats who passed the bill that saved their butts, right? And used your money to do it. We'll talk about this another time. It's 5.04 and I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. But folks, please, you can, you, can, you can fact check everything that I say. I just don't want you to be hoodwinked by the fallacies that Mike Cisak, Eric Hayes, and Daniel Ledeau has allowed themselves to absorb because they, they, they choose to be willfully ignorant. I love them, but they have chosen to be willfully ignorant and allow themselves, their minds to be enslaved by parasites who are using them to continue to promote the message. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out!
we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.